Hey friends, welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm Angela Donatio, and each week I share compelling conversations with leading voices. They encourage us to ground our worth in the word instead of the narrative of the world. Together we'll make our lives matter no matter what. Here's this week's episode. Well, hey guys, welcome back to the Make Life Matter podcast. I hope you are loving these conversations we're having in 2024. And uh, my frame kind of around around the beginning of this year was to have courageous and not contentious conversations. Maybe that kind of started to mull over in my heart as I thought about an election year. My husband and I pastor right outside of Washington, D.C. We pastor a diverse church that we absolutely love. And this is our 30th year at this church, first as youth pastors, student ministries, and then as lead pastors. And so it has been such a joy. And one of the greatest gifts in our ministry has been the diversity that God has allowed us to to see and has entrusted to us. And so we have uh, upwards of 40 ethnicities represented in our church congregation and our church body. And so when I saw this new book come across my desk from a publicist that I love working with, I immediately said yes. Uh, Pastor Terry Christ has written a brand new book called Loving Samaritans. And in this book, he demonstrates how it's possible to live a life of radical inclusivity without compromising one's belief or the truth of the gospel. And that's the rub, isn't it? So we're going to dive in in just a moment and talk about this brand new book and talk about the message of the book of how we can love others well, especially when we're encountering maybe others of different viewpoints and different backgrounds. Well, Pastor Terry Chris is the co-lead pastor of City of Grace in Phoenix alongside his wife, Judith. And we've already talked about this amazing new book. And we're going to tell you more about that and how to get that in a few moments. He has a THM and a D-min, lots of number, uh, lots of letters after his name. And he has a business certificate in nonprofit management from Harvard Business School. He's passionate about community transformation, and he promotes adoption and foster care through his work in state government. He's an avid outdoorsman. I told him my husband was raised in Alaska. I'm sure they have lots in common. He's a gifted communicator. He's an adventurer, and you you know that I'm an adventurer over here. He's preached the gospel in 65 nations. He and Judith have three married sons, three grandchildren, and they live in Phoenix and have recently moved, and that's a big part of the story and the launch of the impetus of this book. So Pastor Terry, welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm so honored to have you here. Thank you, Angela. It's a real honor to be here with you as well. And right off the top, I just want to say I had an opportunity just to drop down through some of your various episodes and to listen to little bits here and there. And you do such a fantastic job. You're wise and you're warm and you're compassionate and pastoral. And I think you're filling a really important space. So I want to get that out right up front. It's an honor to be with you. And thank you for having me today. Thank you so much, Pastor. Speaking of warm, we joked about that we've had a horrible storm here this week on the East Coast. And if you're watching, you can see that he's in sunny Phoenix. We were saying, yes, his weather is much, much better than mine. But Pastor, let's talk about the fact that you moved recently to Phoenix and the emphasis of this book and loving Samaritans. I first want to kind of know about the move and then we're going to dive okay. into just the, what it even means. Why Samaritans? What that means to people who might not be familiar with the term. 
I think the move is sort of a jumping off point into a much bigger topic that we both, I think, share a passion in and are going to discuss here today. The move in and of itself is not unusual because we're a transient nation. We move from one place to another, and we've certainly moved over the course of 40 years in ministry, uh, more times than I can even count. But more often than not, we move from one neighborhood to a neighborhood much like the one we had moved from. And in this case, my wife and I made a very radical choice for us, a pretty significant decision to move from the comforts of a suburban neighborhood where we had lived for 20 years, had raised our family, had planted a church, had just done our lives within about about a seven minute radius. And we, while traveling the world in ministry, found ourselves coming back home to this quiet, white, peaceful, suburban enclave, and not really engaging with the people in our own community the way that we felt called to. So we decided one day, hey, we're not going to outsource our compassion any longer. Uh, As leaders, you grow a church, you grow a team, you give assignments, you follow up on the work that's being done. And all of that is very much appropriate when it comes to scaling up our response to addressing the pain in the world. But for me personally, I wanted to roll up my shirt sleeves, get my hands back into the lives of people, and to really engage in helping people, uh, being with people. Uh, And so we moved from the suburbs into a high rise. And in 40 years of marriage, we never lived in a high rise. You can see I'm 14 stories high here today. And Phoenix doesn't have a lot of high rises. But the building that I'm in is a microcosm of humanity. And it's an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with people who live in ultra close proximity. I love that. I love that phrase, outsource my compassion. I wasn't willing to outsource my compassion anymore. I'm wondering, Pastor, as you share that, had you already had you already been traveling at the point? Like how much did this how much was your your view on this shaped by traveling to so many nations? Or did that come after your move? I'd love to know where that was in the trajectory of your life. So my wife and I coming from pastor's homes and spending our entire adult life engaged in pastoral ministry have been very hands-on. We've been engaged in the lives of people personally. So this is nothing different. But in our case, as God graced our church for growth and as our church began to expand from one location to another, to another, to another, I found myself leading a team and serving as a CEO in many ways, more than actually being the pastor that I am by calling. So we, throughout the years, have traveled into uh, 65 different countries, and that spanned the entire uh, course of our ministry and life. That That is nothing new. Uh, but it's just been in the last two years that we moved from suburbia into the urban core of the city in this commitment to lead a big staff. And again, there's benefit in scale. There's a benefit in having a lot of people focused on making a big difference in a community. But I think sometimes ministers can lose 
connection with the very people that they're called to serve. And then it becomes about something else. It becomes about a platform, a brand, a celebrity, an opportunity. And none of us enter ministry for that reason, do we? We enter ministry because we love Jesus and we love people. And we do want to scale up and reach and help as many as we can. So for me, it was just a matter of getting back to the basics. Mm. And that meant moving into central Phoenix and riding an elevator, some 14 or if a park (laughs) underground, 15 stories every day with every imaginable sort of individual that I've come to love. And I'm no longer just serving as the pastor of a large and uh, multi-ethnic uh, multi-site church, but I'm sort of the de facto pastor of a building right now. And there's no turning that off. There's no getting away from that. It is a uh, connection. There is a connection with people that's consistent and constant, and I'm enjoying it. I love that so much. There's so many young new pastors who could really benefit from what you just shared. And even my husband, I thought of, as you said that, he loves to have his morning meetings at Starbucks. And I think he's the pastor of the local Starbucks. They know him by name and, you know, they'll ask him, you know, hard questions sometimes, yeah. people that work there, people that come in and frequent. So your desire to be connected to the community, connected to others and not just inside the church walls. But I let's lean into this book because you've already kind of mentioned it, writing even an elevator with with a lot of different individuals and and broadening your approach. And I'm sure being very others minded, I'm sure you're very intentional, even in the way that you're approaching conversations and interactions with people. Um, But someone may not even be familiar with this term that you've titled your book, Loving Samaritans. I wrote about the Samaritan woman at the well. We don't know her name, but we know her as the woman at the well, the Samaritan in that region. I've been to Israel several times and uh, Samaria is not an area you can often get to. But for those who might be unfamiliar, uh, walk us through just a, a brief little kind of understanding of this word Samaritans and the people group that it represents. Well, the history of Samaria is enveloped in pain, enveloped in trauma, enveloped in a horrific backstory. Uh, the backstory is simply that the Assyrians invaded the Northern Kingdom, which of course was also known as Israel. And they took out about 20,000 people, transported them into captivity, then repopulated the land with invaders, with occupiers from five different nations. Over time, those occupiers married the inhabitants of the land and ended up with this horrific pejorative description of them being half-breeds, certainly not the kind of language that we uh, use in our world as we see people, all people as image bearers. But that was how they were defined. They were defined as the other. They were defined as not being uh, those that were included and accepted and loved and affirmed and no proper Jew had any dealing with the Samaritans Mm. because of the risk of contamination. And it's sort of what happens today in church life where that we fear sometimes being contaminated by people not like us instead of realizing that the righteousness of Christ has been, uh, offered to us and applied to us, and it covers us by faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't think any Christian needs to fear contamination Mm -hmm. by engaging with their neighbors. We need to live wise and circumspect and holy lives, but never be fearful that if I love my neighbors, 
my neighbors are going to end up influencing me negatively. The influence should flow in one direction. So the story of the Samaritan woman has long been one of my favorites. I've been fascinated with the conversation that Jesus had there. And as you know, it's the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with any single individual in the Gospels. And it's amazing because in this one single conversation, he addresses the most provocative issues of the times. It encompasses race and religion and politics and ethnic identities and power dynamics and even sexuality. And yet Jesus is able to have this honest and truthful conversation with her in a way that doesn't rebuff her, but instead it attracts her to the kindness and compassion of God. And that leads, of course, to her salvation. And it also leads to an invitation for Jesus to then go into this little neighboring village and spend two days there. And we don't know what happened during those two days that he spent in this little village. I often wonder if that's where he heard the story of the Good Samaritan, which we're all sort of familiar with, or he conceived of it. But what we do know is that this is the beginning of a love affair that Jesus has with the Samaritans. And it flows right throughout his ministry. You can see the threads of it right up until the point that he ascends into heaven and says to the disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea. And by the way, <laughs> don't forget, my friends, the Samaritans. Yeah. So it embodies all the people in our world today that are unlike us, the people that God has positioned us to love and to serve and to minister to. Mm, yeah, you're right. There's so much in that powerful story, a chapter <laughs> And there's just so much that can be preached and taught. And yet it seems to be difficult to apply. There's where the disconnect comes in. We can understand it. We can receive it. We can appreciate it. And yet, especially right here in the United States, we are struggling in this whole area. I want to read a quote that you share, Pastor, because you really want us to, to come away knowing how to be empowered to imitate Christ's love for all of humanity, as you mentioned, extending dignity to those who need, maintain thriving relationships, even when facing differences in viewpoints. And you state this, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can both love God and love your neighbor. You have such a heart for diversity and the multifaceted uh, institution that is the church. And yet you lament some of the issues that the church is facing, continues to face. So let's just start with this quote, this conversation about why do we struggle with feeling like somehow it's an either or proposition. I, ca I can't love the word of God, love who he is, stay committed. And as you said, a life a consecrated, holy life and love my neighbor well. Why are we struggling so much with this, Pastor? Well, first of all, thank you for affirming the fact that I'm a church kid. I'm a church guy. I love the church. Yeah. And even though I see uh, our need for renewal and our need to become more like Jesus, I love the church and I want yes. people to love the church. I think the church is divided in as many ways as the world is. Mm. Excuse me. <clears throat> I don't think this is unique to any one particular individual. I think we live in a profoundly divided world in a thousand different ways. And a part of it is because that we have psychologically been oriented toward tribes 
And when we don't toward tribalism. So let me tell you what I mean by that just real briefly. If you go back to the very beginning from the earliest of days, we, we gravitate toward community. We gravitate toward connection. We gravitate toward being with other people like us. And that's what a tribe is. We're all tribal in a thousand different ways. We have our sports teams. We have our alma maters. We have our boys and girls clubs that we're loyal to. Whatever the case may be, we have our people. Nothing wrong with being in a tribe. In fact, all of Israel was in tribes. One nation, all God's people, and yet there were distinctions. There were uniquenesses. There were idiosyncrasies. There were all of this diversity and variety. So that's what it means to to be in a tribe. The problem, however, is when we look at other tribes and then say, they aren't as worthy as we are. They aren't as whatever as we are. So we then engage in this process of of tribalism, and the ism is what becomes divisive. And the ism is what then denigrates other people to something less than being equal with us in our status. So coming back to your question, in this profoundly divided world, I think the people of God oftentimes are taking their cues from the culture around us. Mm. And we're just following the same lines of division that we see, division in politics, division in socioeconomic realities, division in all sorts of things, rather than the people of God saying, okay, we're called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We're called to be bridge builders. We're called to be unifiers, not at the expense of compromising truth, but we don't have to. We can hold these things in tension. We can hold grace and truth, truth and tone, and we can be the kind of people that do exactly what Jesus did. We need no better model than Jesus. Jesus, who never compromised truth, was the most loving, winsome, kind, compassionate, and engaging person to be around. And I think that's what he wants us to be, the people that represent him, not based upon an Old Testament model of religion and religious practices, but based upon who Jesus is. Jesus is God's full expression of truth and grace. That's mm, so good, Pastor. That's just such such great insight. And the tribalism we've seen is so unfortunate. And even if we don't realize, we don't recognize how much it's crept into our conversations, even just denominational lines. So you even have factions and divisions within the body of Christ, much less between the the church, big C, and the non-church, if you want to say it that way. So we're, we're, as you said, we are bent. We are psychologically indoctrinated toward division. And so we're going to have to be intentional about swimming upstream from that and to realize that God calls us to be ministers of reconciliation. That's his heart to love people, to love his word, to know his word, but to love people and to do that well. And I'm not saying it's easy. Pastor's not saying it's easy. But it is what we're called to do. And so we don't get to we don't get to just say a cop out and we don't get to just, you know, hide out in our own little tribe without having the courageous conversations that we need to have. I want to talk a little bit, Pastor, about listening, because I feel like our culture has lost the art a bit of that. And part of having uh, these kind of dialogues, the conversations we see Jesus have, and he shifted his conversation, whether he was talking 
to the woman at the well, or he was talking to the Pharisees, or he's talking to his own disciples, or he's talking to the crowd. He adjusted his tone, as you mentioned. He adjusted his approach. He adjusted his his uh, use of symbolism or allegories or or word pictures or whatever it might be to reach those that he was talking. Even Paul said, listen, I'm going to make myself all things to all people so that by some me, by some, I'm going to win some, I'm just going to throw it all out there. And I'm going to believe that God is going to use it. And Paul never walked into a city and all of a sudden thought, how can I become the more, the most tribal person in this area? He went into some of the most diverse areas. You're talking about Ephesus and Corinth and places that were steeped in immorality, really challenging cities. And yet they were transformed by the power of the gospel. So that means, number one, we can trust the gospel. We don't need to reinvent the method, the message, but it's the methods that we seem to be struggling with. And obviously, maybe the method you use in a high-rise apartment is going to be different than a pastor somewhere in rural El Salvador. And that means we have to be sensitive, discerning, have wisdom, dependence on the Holy Spirit. But in the big picture... It still feels like we're struggling to listen. We're struggling to hold space for someone else's thoughts, experiences. So help us know, especially this year, Pastor, as we head toward an election, it's it's on everyone's mind. It just ratchets up everything, everything gets escalated that we're talking about. How do we trade judgment for grace when we're having these conversations and be the person who creates the judgment-free zone so that we can have good, healthy conversations with people, especially those who may not dis- who may not agree with us? Great question. And I want to just affirm right up front that uh, I agree with you. I've often said, I believe that every single Christian should be a bilingual Christian. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is that we do have this certain language within Christianity and depending what denomination, what spiritual tribe you're in, yeah. you know, we have our little shortcuts to meaning. <laughs> and so it's our vernacular. It's just the language. We say things like the anointing and yeah. we have our whole, you know, glossary. So we should speak that language. That is what I call the language of Jerusalem. But at the same time, we're called to speak the language of Babylon. Uh, we're called to learn the language of Babylon and speak the language of Babylon without being nourished by the spirit of Babylon. So we see that in Daniel. When he's taken into captivity, he says, okay, I'm not like you. I am a child of God. You're going to seek to redefine me. You're going to change my name. You're going to label me. You're going to define me as you see fit. But I'm willing to learn your language and engage you on the basis of thought without being nourished by the spirit that you draw from. So I think every Christian should be a bilingual Christian. And when it comes to the issue of, of listening, listening is a profound act of love. It's a profound act of love. Mm. Oftentimes we don't listen well because of the state of our interior lives. We don't feel heard. We don't feel seen. We don't feel loved. We don't feel that anyone's holding space for us. Mm. And in the absence of those things, we don't listen well. I think some of the keys to active listening would be working on your interior space. Mm. Curiosity would be a big part of 
listening well, vulnerability, being, being comfortable with silences. You know, if you're going to connect with the people around you in the world, you're going to have some conversations like this one that are free flowing. And then you're going to sit in some silences. Yeah. You're going to have some awkward moments as well. And it all sort of comes back to the idea of really asking what what are people saying? What's being said behind what they're saying? This comes back to, of course, EQ, not IQ, but EQ. Yes. Am I reading the room? Am I reading the situation? And I found that when it comes to uh, connecting with people and relating it back to the whole story of Jesus and the woman at the well, that there were a few things there that are very clearly on display. Jesus is showing us that all people are worthy of respect. Yes. Every person we encounter on a daily basis is worthy of respect. Every person we encounter is worthy of being heard. Mm. Every person we encounter is worthy of hearing the truth without insult. And then finally, every person that we hear is worthy of unconditional love. Not everyone that I love is going to come to faith in Jesus, but they are worth loving nonetheless. Not every person that I share my faith with is going to come to embrace this beautiful savior that has made such a difference in my life and could make such a difference in their life, but they're still worthy of my time, attention, and engagement. So I think one of the things that we can do is sort of take our ego off the table when it comes to connecting with people around us and uh, not look at them as targets of evangelism, even though we want to see them come to know Jesus, not look at them as potential church members, even though we want them to be a part of our church, but to see them as people that God loves unconditionally. And if they're worthy of being loved unconditionally by God, they are worthy of my time, attention, affection, curiosity, conversation, and commitment as well. Wow. So good, Pastor. There's just, I mean, there's so much wisdom in what you're sharing, but there's also so much compassion in what you're sharing. And I think that's that's the tension we need to hold. You can tell as listening to Pastor Terry, he's wise, he's He's obviously, you know, of course, he's biblically knowledgeable and we can have all of those things and we can still not love people well. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. It doesn't matter if I can interpret every mystery known to mankind. I can do all of these things, but if I don't love, I've been walking through the gospels this year, Pastor Terry, in the, in the past few weeks, and I'm so struck by no matter how tired Jesus is, no matter how much is coming at him from all sides when he is with the crowds so frequently it's this phrase and he had compassion and Jesus moved with compassion and so it it's it's not easy i looked at my husband one day and i said i just don't have this kind of compassion for people <laughs> and he said well you're not jesus i said i know but we're supposed to imitate him right i mean we're supposed to <laughs> We, our goal is to love like Jesus, which tells me on my own, I cannot do this. I can, at least I can't sustain it. You, you can love, I don't even want to say you can love people. You can have good conversations. You can learn to listen well, but the love that Pastor Terry is talking about, unconditional love comes from the father through the person of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that is what is going to enable and empower and equip us to love well. 
And so if it, it, it's back to that posture of humility, like you just said, letting go of your ego, it's, it's all about you and it's not about you at all. Meaning right. he wants to work in and through us, but he's the one empowering us to even love and see past someone's pain, their hurt, their trauma, their brokenness. Thank God he saw past our brokenness, right? Pastor right, Terry? right. Absolutely. I mean, none of us are not broken. We just are varying degrees of, of healed from our brokenness, but to, to say, God, I want you to use me in a broken and a hurting culture. And it starts with listening. It starts with loving. Jesus listened to the woman at the well. When the disciples went around Samaria, they wouldn't even eat and the, they wouldn't even go get food in the town. God forbid they be contaminated by these people. Jesus went, and I love pastor that it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Had to. Yeah, he didn't have to go there. He chose <laughs> to go there. He and was living his life on mission for the sake of other people. A hundred percent. And that's what we're called to do. Not living our life in tribes, living our life on mission. And that's going to cause us to be uncomfortable. It's going to cause yeah. us to choose to love our culture more than we criticize our culture. So Pastor Terry, I'm so grateful for your message. I could talk to you for hours. My brain was buzzing of, we need to have him out here. He's got to do a leadership conference because the wisdom that you speak with and the passion that you have, not only for the local church, which of course is my heart as well. You know, Christ died for the church. It's the agent he's using in the earth today. The body of Christ, as flawed as it is, is who he is using as he did Israel in, in the Old Testament yeah, as the yeah. witness to a broken generation. So we've got to step up. We've got to stop being so focused on being tribal and being right and, and, and can't wait to get the next word in edgewise and lean back and listen and, and let God do what God does and use us and, and look at a tree and say, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? Get out of the tree and I'm going to come to your house. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a conversation. Jesus is our model. And so yeah. I just want to thank you for. Can I jump in with one By thing? all means, I want to say, just, I want to give you a just, last word on that. Well, <laughs> only because I just, I just, in this moment, listening to you, listening to your heart, this just keeps coming up in, in my heart. And I sense that it's the Holy Spirit. I, I think for a lot of people who want to love well and find it difficult to love well, they need to know that it's in being loved that we can love. Yeah. So the whole beauty of the gospel is that we didn't come to Jesus. We, we, he came to us that, you know, we didn't find Jesus. He found us. We didn't love Jesus. He loved us. So we're the recipients of this extraordinary grace, this kindness and compassion that comes from God. And if we surrender to that, if we see that, if we see ourselves as the recipients of that, it's in being loved that we can love. So I just feel in this moment, there may be some watching or listening to the podcast that may go out sort of feeling like this is a challenge for them to do more, to do harder, to do better. And I'm, I'm inviting them into the opposite. And that is to surrender to love, to surrender to grace, to just say to Jesus, look, my neighbors annoy me. My kids annoy me. You know, I'm having trouble with the barista. I'm having trouble with the person in the cubicle next to me. 
I'm having trouble with these people. I navigate, you know, my day uh, with and through each uh, each day. I'm, I'm just, I don't know how to do this. And that's okay, because I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm talking about surrendering to grace and saying, God, would you love me well so that I'm loving out of the overflow of my life and that people are getting the fruit of my life, not some discipline that I've engaged in with white knuckles. So that's what I want to hear people. To, I want people to know you are loved. And if you surrender to love, that love will be clearly expressed by God's grace in your life. And then you can love from that place. So good. So good. It's not a thing. It's not another thing to put on our to-do list, Yeah, but it's receiving as that the woman who broke the alabaster jar, I was thinking of her when you said that pastor, that Jesus, you know, they all thought it was a waste. And what are you doing with this money? We could have done this, that, and the third with it. And, you know, and he, he affirms what she did. And then he says, freely, you have received. So freely you give, you know, and that's what you're saying. We don't, we, we hear Jesus command love, you know, when they're trying to kind of trap him, well, what law should we keep? And what do you do with, you know, and all the man-made things that they even been had added. And Jesus boils it down to this. I want you to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. And we we can't even do as that. Yourself. As yourself. As yourself. As yes. yourself. We can't even do <laughs> so, those two things. But that's what you're yeah. saying. If we don't feel loved by yeah. God, we're not going to love well. It's going to it's gonna feel restrained and forced and stingy. And, and there's a lot of people who don't feel, they don't, they, you are loved by God. We just need to settle that. But we don't always walk in the truth and the awareness of that love. I'm struck by one of my favorite scriptures is in first John, which says um, in view of God's mercy of uh, that's Romans, but um, how great is the love? Those two are my favorite. How great is the right. love the father has lavished on you lavished upon us that yeah. you would be called sons and daughters of God. And that's what we are. Yeah. And then Romans is the, the the other piece of that, because I'm a recovering perfectionist, Pastor Terry. So I get the to-do list. I get the disciplines. I get the, let me try to just n- white knuckle and do this thing. And I spent way too many years of my life, even as a Christian, approaching my relationship with the Lord that way. But when you realize you are loved, period. Now it came in my life through my health falling apart and nearly dying, that's the path the Lord chose for me to embrace and understand his love for me. I wouldn't wish that on anyone the way that, and so many people who listen to podcasts know my story, but I would never change or trade the revelation I now have of the love of God in my life because it changed everything else. And I was trying to do it backwards for so long. And that's why now Romans 12 in my life is so important in view of God's mercy Because he first loved us, like you're saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's your true and acceptable worship. But don't just try to do it so that you can be loved. No, just know you you are loved for God so loved you. Once you know that his love will cast out the fear that sometimes separates us and keeps the other at arm's length. Once we've received the love, then we can love God the way that he's asking us to and love our neighbor as ourselves. So I'm so glad you snuck that in because that's like foundational to everything. The Samaritan woman's story is each of ours. 
We are the Samaritan woman. We are those people that are far from God. And except for Jesus coming to sit at a well near us, that well might be a church. It might be someone listening to this podcast. It might be a conversation with a friend at a coffee shop. But for those of us who have come into relationship with Jesus, it's only because he came and sat down at our well and struck up a conversation with us. And so I want people to know just how wildly the God of the universe loves them. And from this place of deep and abiding and overflowing love, we can love others. And as you said earlier, it's not easy. I get that. I'm, I, it doesn't help any of us to pretend that it is. It is a hard and holy work. But I'm saying it's worthwhile, and it's a work that you don't have to do in the power of your own strength. But as you so beautifully put it, being loved by God, it becomes the outflow. So, so good. So powerful. Well, I have to stop because I could just keep talking because I, every time you say something, I, I think okay. it's not, I'm about to take a okay. laugh. You know what I mean? There's a point where you're like, y'all got to get up and do a little Jericho dance here, but That's I'm going to stop because it's just okay. so good. And all it does is reinforce guys. You have to get the book. We need this book this year more than any other year right now. Let's just decide I'm going to live loved. I'm going to live loved. And then I'm going to let the love of others be the overflow of Christ's love in me. And, uh, and, and what, what could happen pastor in our world, if that was the way that every Christian approached their relationship with the Lord and with others. So I want people to, to get a copy of loving Samaritans. You're really active on social media. So I'm going to put your social media handles and my show notes. They can also go to Zondervan.com. I know it's a little bit long. I'm put this on my show notes too, guys. Forward slash P, forward slash loving Samaritans. I'm sure they can also just Google the book, Amazon, all the places you would find it. If you're a pastor, a leader, please, please, you will be so blessed and encouraged by this book. Pastor, I'm going to ask you to close this in prayer over our listeners in a moment, especially anyone, like you said, might just be the last thing you want is for anyone to get off of listening to this conversation and think, oh, I just cannot do this. It's just too hard. You so beautifully gave us the roadmap to, to not leave with that. But I want you to pray, especially for anyone who just maybe they have, they know exactly who that person is in their life that they're like, I just cannot, I just can't figure this relationship out or dreading the the family reunion, dreading going to work, dreading sitting on a pew across from someone that you're having a disagreement, whatever it might be. Um, we, it doesn't have to be that way. So pastor, I want you to pray for us for in just a moment, but I, I love to close with one last question that is, and it might be the woman at the well, but it might not be. So other than Jesus, who is that person in the Bible for you that most inspires you to make your life matter for the kingdom? It's a big question. And I <laughs> there are three that instantly come to mind, and then I'll narrow it to one. So it's certainly Daniel in Babylon, uh, Joseph in Egypt. Also Jacob, strangely enough, mm-hmm. because Jacob's life reflects the overall picture of redemption. And I'm working on a subsequent book that is called Naked Jacob, uh, Humility, Ambition, and the Glory of God. So I'm kind of going back and forth, but I'm going to go back to Daniel. I'm going to go back to Daniel. Daniel in Babylon, Daniel in a culture so much like our own, was able to serve for 70 years Mm -hmm. 
I mean, he served a lifetime, if you will, and he served faithfully as an emissary of the kingdom of God. And it's a picture of what God has called all of us to do as ambassadors of reconciliation. That's right. And and it's not that we just withdraw from our culture. We're called to be salt right. and light. And he's such a beautiful example of that. He's hard to see a perceptible flaw you know, I've heard somebody say maybe he had anxiety. I don't know. I mean, who wouldn't in that situation, to be honest? But he just is such a model of integrity, consistency, playing the long game, being in a culture and not of it, and and letting God use you in spite of what that's why I don't we don't need to get so freaked out over even an election or or who's in this position or that position. God is in control and Daniel is a beautiful picture of that because he used him so um, integrally in multiple administrations, uh, just like he did Joseph, rising to positions of great authority and responsibility um, despite what was going on around him. So I'm not surprised that you chose Daniel and I can't wait for your new book because it sounds great. And and of course, Jacob had all the flaws. So I know, right? It's a great observation you made there. We're not sure about Daniel, but I relate to Jacob because of all the flaws in my life. So that's true. There's the pendulum swing, right? Exactly. We don't see a flaw. And there's Jacob. It's like, oh, we all relate to you. Like, he's a mess. Or he's a mess. Brother is a mess. But God uses all of us. That's the beauty of it. So thank you, Pastor. Guys, go get a copy of, of Pastor Terry Chris' new book. Um, loving Samaritans, and then uh, we'll have to have you back when the new one is out. Uh, you'll to. have to let me know and to be honored to, ha- to bring you back. But would you pray over our listeners, especially anyone to. who might be struggling with this very area we've we've covered today? Thank you, Pastor. Okay. Well, Father, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for Angela. I want to thank you for the work that she and her husband are doing not only their pastoring in Washington, D.C., but the work that she's doing right here in this space. I know week in and week out, she's bringing hope and encouragement and pastoring and mentoring right here in this space. And I pray that you would continue to make her ministry fruitful. But Lord, we pray for those that have been with us in the conversation today. We know that your great love for them is clearly expressed throughout Scripture It is etched into the beauty of the universe. But would you reveal yourself to them personally? Would you just open the eyes of their hearts, so to speak, to their worth and value, to your love and compassion, to the great affection that you feel toward them? Lord, I pray that we would know that we are loved profoundly by the God of the universe. And from that deep place of abiding love, we would engage in serving the neighbors. Make us all good neighbors in the world. And may we be good neighbors for your kingdom's sake so that the world would see you in us and give you glory. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining the conversation. If you've been inspired to make life matter, share a review and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Connect with me at AngelaDonatio.com, Facebook at AngelaDonatioVOV, and Instagram at AngelaDonatio. Until next week, let's make life matter.